Welcome to That Mom Life. It is Sarah Jordan. And the whole purpose of That Mom Life is to be the village of moms supporting moms. Dads can come on here too, but really people just sharing their stories from every single angle. And that's why I wanted to bring on my friend, Ryan, which Ryan, I think I've known you now roughly 14 years because you and I used to work in radio together and I met you like the day I started. <laughs> you're just one of those people. You are very vibrant. You are very passionate. You're so fun. You've got a laugh. You can hear down the hallway. (laughs) But one of the things I love about you is I remember your son used to pop up around the radio station usually to help. He was a great helper. (laughs) So I wanted to rewind a little bit. How old is your oldest son now? Uh, Christian just turned 23 at the end of April, 23 at the end of April. So rewind me back 23 years ago. What was going on in your life when you got pregnant with Christian? Um, I was 19. Um, I was not married. My mom had just moved, um, to Lexington to, um, start a radio station down there. Um, I was a student, but I mean, my path was one way, but, you know, getting pregnant and having a kid took my path the other way, um, which oddly enough, I came full circle because I was in nursing school when I was pregnant with him. Um, I didn't finish. I'm now back in nursing school. So are you serious? Me, you know, 20, yeah, it took me 20 plus years to go back, but um, I'm in nursing school now. I go to Galen. I didn't know that. That's so interesting. Yeah. I, uh, when I was pregnant, um, I try after I had him, I tried to go, I tried to finish. I went to Ivy tech. Um, but, uh, Christian's father is not, has not really, he's, he, he was around when Christian was very little, but as far as being supportive, he was not. Um, so I couldn't not really depend on him. Like I needed to be able to depend on someone to go to, you know, nursing school, Um, so full-time work, full-time school and a a child wasn't really an option. So I had to quit school. Um, but I mean, there were a couple classes that I took Christian with me. So, I mean, imagine taking a, you know, a six month old baby to microbiology class. I have Um, a seven month old baby right now and there's no way I would take that girl to school. Yeah. Um, the one thing about Ivy tech is, um, with it being a community. So a lot of the people that go, well, actually most of the people that go there are commuters. They're people that like at the time and even now they're, you know, they're in school or um, they have other jobs. They're going back to school. Like they, they, you know, they decided that their kids have moved out or moved on. They can go back. So there were a lot of people that would, I mean, they would hold Christian, um, while I was giving presentations, I remember giving a presentation in my uh, psychology class and uh, the the other moms in the class just picked him up and held him and, you know, everything else. And because they got it, it was interesting. Yeah, they got it. Yeah, they understood. That's incredible that you, you went to school and tried to continue on there. I know, obviously, you veered down the radio path and come full circle. Um, one of the things, since I, I do know you, and so Christian's father was African-American, correct? Yes. 
So what was it like? I mean, this is obviously a time when I'm wanting to truly listen, especially with everything going on in our country. What was it like for you being a, having a biracial son? Um, well, I'd say a couple of things. I was very fortunate um, growing up. Uh, both of my parents were in radio. So I had a not so typical upbringing when it came to the world and worldviews. So, um, you know, gay and lesbian was not something that um, was an issue in my family. One of my mom's best friends was gay. Um, I mean, it's radio for crying out loud. Her boss was gay, you know. Right. Um, there was, um, I went to Jeff High, which at the time, and I believe they still do offer it, they actually had an African-American history course, which I took my junior year in high school. Um, my class in school was very, I don't know what the word is, but um, yes, there were cliques, but we were a fairly inclusive class. Um, and we had a lot of minorities that were the leaders in our classes. So um, like our class president, our class vice president, our class treasurer, um, our homecoming courts, our prom king and queen, um, they were jocks, but then they were in honors classes. It was a very, the separations that a lot of people in a lot of schools had, my class, I feel was very fortunate that we didn't have. Yeah. Um, my school also had a program called School Colors. Um, that they started um, when I was at Jeff. And that dealt with race in a very interesting way. And basically it was a thing of, um, it's not something that you're born with, you're taught. Um, and to that day, that group of people still meet. Um, really? I was not actually in the school colors play, but I am a part of the group because I was friends with many of them who were who were in that group. Um, and from time to time, we still get together and we discuss things um, in an open forum because we know everybody's heart. Um, so I had a very unique upbringing in that it wasn't that big of an issue for me. Now, outside of my immediate circle, outside of my mom and my dad, um, when Christian was born, there was issues. Um, there were things that were said. Um words that were used to describe things oh. um, that I would get automatically ticked off about. Um, my mom would get automatically ticked off about. Um, and through the years, the, the circle kind of got bigger of people that became more protective of him. It didn't have anything to do with that. They didn't love him. They just didn't understand um, how what they were saying could affect him or, you know, how, how it could anger us. And that's always been an issue. Um, and I had to realize that I couldn't always protect him because it wasn't me that people were offending. It was him. Um, I remember he was eight years old. We were, I was one of his baseball coaches. Um, and one of the kids on his team called him the N word. Um, very, very blatant, very, I mean, very clear called him an N word. Um, Christian looked at me because he didn't know how he was supposed to react. He knew the word that it wasn't a good word because I, I made sure to tell him, you know, anybody that calls you that is, is not a friend of yours. 
Um, but he looked at me almost like he didn't know what he was supposed to do. And I being my, myself and how I handle things, I immediately went outside of the dugout and found his mom, told his mom what happened and said, one of two things is going to happen. Am I allowed to cuss in this podcast? <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say you're, you're allowed to let um, the cuss word fly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I looked, I told her what happened and I said, one of two things is going to happen. Either my son's going to kick your son's ass or I'm going to kick your ass because eight year olds don't just know those types of words. They are taught those types of words. Um, so at that point we had to have another conversation. Um, and honestly, some of the things I didn't know I was going to have to have conversations with, I learned over time. A lot of that um, I learned from people that I worked with. I mean, you know, me and you work together. We have B96 and Magic. Oh, yeah. So a lot of I would come into work and talk to, um, you know, I would talk to an act, you know, hey, what am I not getting or what am I missing? or What do I need to make sure I talk to him about? What do I need to make sure he knows? How do I keep him safe? Um. But because I was willing to ask those questions and because they were willing to take it as I was trying to learn, um, they were very open and honest with me as well. Um, and it kind of then I, I passed it on to my parents. Um, and then, again, it's like the circle just, you know, it, it flowed out. Um, so, you know. Was his that's that's just my, and, and every time something happens, it give it gave and it, it, it still is currently giving my family um, an opportunity to learn more and to see things differently. Um, my grandparents used to always tell me that I was too hard on Christian because um, I was I was very strict um, on him and they would tell me, you know, you're just too hard on him. He's such a good boy. He's such a good boy. And I would try to explain to them that, you know what, yes, he is. But, you know, what, the world isn't going to see him as being a good boy. The world is going to see him as a black man. So he needs to, you know, act a certain way. He needs to know that, you know, things that his friends might be able to do, he can't do. Like he needs to know that that's not a luxury for him. And um, I don't think the word the word I don't know if it even existed back then. I had never heard it. But now that I look back at it, my white privilege when he was living with me gave a like an umbrella to him. Um, but when he moved away and went to college and was no longer around me, that white privilege umbrella did not extend to him. Um, and, and that that was quite scary for me once I realized um, that. Um, but Trayvon Martin was the, was the defining moment for my grandparents because when they saw, you know, the drawing that ever, the news that they put up of him mm -hmm. and it was the, kid with the hoodie on, um, when they saw that picture, they saw Christian and that is what clicked with them. Like, oh my gosh, this could have been our great grandson. Cause it, I mean, it was my grandparents, so it was their great grandson, but that's when they really realized that, you know, this 14 year old boy could have been our grandson and he, he wasn't doing anything. It was simply because of the color of his skin. So then that's when my grandparents started asking questions and it was like their eyes had been opened. 
So every time something like this happens, if people take it as an opportunity to listen and to learn and to ask questions, that's that's what I think all this stuff is about. People people can ask questions. Yeah, people are going to get offended, but uncomfortable conversations have to be had. Um, uncomfortable situations have to be had. Um, but the more you know, the more you, you ask, the more you listen, the more you learn, the more you can understand. Um, and whatever it takes for people to get it, um, I am all for. I know that uh, episode um, from Grey's Anatomy where Miranda has to have the conversation with her son. Oh, yeah. Um, that's been on Facebook. Um, that is a very real conversation that um, parents of black children have to have. I, I had to have it. I didn't know that I was going to have to have that conversation. Um, until I was told that I was going to have to have that conversation. Um, and, and I, and then I realized, you know what, I'm going to have to have that conversation. Um, and I did. And I still do this. I mean, anytime I can point out a situation, um, with all the, the protesting and stuff going on just two weeks ago, um, my other son Bishop and his friends were at my grandma or at my mom's house. And I took the opportunity to go through, you know what, do you all know what, if you all decide to protest, which I'm all for it, um, do you know, you know, that, that um, use milk, if, if you get pepper sprayed, use milk, um, don't use water, um, make sure you take a permanent marker and write names and numbers of people on your body. Don't think just because you carry something, because they'll get rid of it. So then they can say they didn't know who, who to call. They didn't have any way to identify you. You know, I had to have those conversations, um, which, yeah, anybody that's going to be protesting needs to know some of the information. Um, but as black men, they are targets. And, you know, it's just information that, you know, you hopefully won't ever have to tell, you know, camp. But I had to tell Christian and I had to tell Bishop. Was Christian's father in his life or is he still in his life at all? Was he ever there as a father figure to him? Um, he has not seen his dad since he was in the second grade. So, so you had even a, a harder task then because you were playing the mom and the dad. Um, yeah, but I, again, I was very fortunate to have people around me who, who, who knew better. Um, I got him enrolled at the Boys and Girls Club in New Albany, um, which is a great program, by the way. Um, it's not supposed to be considered daycare, but I'm telling you, it was $10 a year. And in the summer, it was nine to five, Monday through Friday. And then during the school year, um, they were open from like two to seven. Um, they did field trips. They did karate. They did basketball. He learned how to play spades there and pool there. They had power hours. So they had an education. Like they helped him with homework. They had computers. So some kids didn't have access to computers. They would have them there. But it was ran by an older black gentleman. And they had a another black um, gentleman who was about my age that worked there. Um and then they had, his name was Mr. Andre, and then they had Mr. Jerry. Mr. Jerry was like the old school, like funny, but he wasn't taking nothing from nobody. <laughs> and um, and we lived in Clarksville. I could have sent him to the one in Jeff, but I chose that one specifically because of the people that ran it. Because I knew Christian needed a positive male role model 
um, in his life, but he needed a positive black male role model in his life. I also talked to a couple people at, at work. Easy. Bluegrass was one of them. I asked them, I was like, hey, you know, can I, you know, when I come in on to work on the weekends, do you care if I bring in Christian and he just hang out with you, you know, just to see you, you know, working and, you know, just develop that, that relationship. You're a bigger guy. He's a bigger kid. You both like football, you know, just that camaraderie. All of these guys that I worked with and had access to um, were 100% on board um, with any questions that I had or talking to Christian if I needed him to or, you know, any type of advice. So I was very fortunate in having um, people around me that cared um, and, and in turn made Christian very lucky to have all of those people. Now, when I remember, I'm trying to remember how many years ago it was, Bishop entered the picture and you were a, were you a foster parent for Bishop? Is that how it started? Yes. Yeah. Um, he actually, it was, um, Christian was a senior in high school. Um, and Bishop was a freshman in high school. He was on the football team with Christian and Christian was kind of like a big brother, um, on, on the team, um, to like the younger kids. And um, so I had met Bishop before and I was a football mom. I mean, there was a, there was a group of us moms that pretty much, you know, did everything. Um, so I was a football mom. So I knew him. Um, and one day Christian came home and was like, Hey, can Bishop come stay with us over a couple of days? Um, his foster parents are returning him. Um, if you can imagine that you can literally return a foster child, like you're taking something back to target. Um, just know that you can, it is that simple. Um, and he said, you know, they're, they're, they're taking him back and he'll have to go to a youth shelter until they find a placement for him. I didn't want anybody that any kid that I knew to have to go to a youth shelter. So, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking he'll be there a couple days. No problem. Um, he came, stayed, got a knock on my door two days later and it was his caseworker. Um, that said, yeah, he either has to go with me now or we have to fast track you to become a foster parent. Um, which was kind of shocking. Um, so me and Christian had a conversation. Then I had a conversation with uh, my mom and stepdad and then another conversation with my grandparents. Because, um, well, I, I, your family's pretty much the same as mine. I mean, family's family. It's oh, yeah. an all or nothing type of thing. <laughs> you know, Um and I knew I was going to need some help because, um, I mean, I was still a, a single parent, um, had one senior in high school, uh, getting ready to take on another kid in high school. And you haven't gotten to that point yet. But let me tell you, two high school boys can put a dent in anyone's food pantry. Um, oh. So we, we I, I was like, OK, I, you know, I can do it. Um, and with a lot of help from my, my mom and my stepdad and my grandparents, um, financially, because, you know, it takes about two months to get any type of help with that. Um, but it was something that, you know, I felt we needed to do. The whole family felt we needed to do. Um, so Bishop's been with us ever since. Um, I never actually adopted him. Um, they don't really recommend kids that old be adopted because the, it actually hurts them. Um, cause they lose the benefits that they like the insurance and the help with college and stuff like that when they're that old. Um, 
because he was just three years out from being um, aged out of the system. Um, but, I mean, he's still with us, you know, now. He has two kids. Uh, Briley, she just turned two. And then baby Bishop, who uh, is three months. Um, Tom and Gigi. <laughs> I can't believe you, you and I talked about that. I can't believe you're a grandma now. Like, to not not one, not two, but then Christian's now expecting his first, correct? Yes, he. Um, they are expecting, and they are due in December. I just love and every you. name. I have, every every name I have suggested, they have shot down. <laughs> <laughs> you you've always had the biggest heart because I remember when Bishop got, got brought into the situation, and again, you took on a role of a, of of a lot. You opened your door, like you said, you had two days with him, and then made the decision to welcome in another son into your life, and um, Bishop an amazing kid and now you are a Gigi. So now you've got two sons, three grandchildren, beautiful grandchildren, by the way, Briley is one of the cutest children I've ever seen. She, she is pretty precious. (laughs) (laughs) Are you, are you around your grandkids all the time now? Yes. Um, Bishop and right. Well, during the quarantine, they all lived with me. Um, and now I live with Christian. He, they moved him and, um, Shelby moved down back down here from school. They've graduated college and they've moved down here. Um, and Bishop and his children and, uh, their mom are moving into a place together. Um, but I see them all the time. What is it like for you now to have your, to have such a big family and not just that, like your family is so diverse and it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, it's family. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, I guess we've just always, again, I credit a lot of it with growing up the way that I did. Um, you know, the radio family and, and if you're in radio, it is a family. Um, just that industry is, is very, um, someone, you know, someone who knows someone, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Um, it's a very diverse community in in, in radio. So, um, I, I think it's just always, and, and outside of that, um, I think I've just been very lucky to have just um, diversity all around me and people be accepting all around me. Um, I have always, I, I guess how, who was it? I can't even remember who said it, but it's like, I'm always down for the fight of whoever, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, and, and that's kind of how, um, you know, but that's kind of how I was raised. I remember, um, I, I don't know exactly how old I was, but, um, there was a KKK rally in Sellersburg, Indiana. I do know that we were in my mom's Monte Carlo. So that means we lived in Clarksville at the time. So I was probably, I was elementary school age. Um, and I only remember that Monte Carlo cause it had leather seats and they never ever, um, turned the air conditioning on in the car. Um, it, and my flesh would burn on that leather seat. Oh, yes. It's just it's just one of those things that I remember. Now mom uses the air conditioner all the time like it's nothing. It's like, are you kidding me? Like I begged for the air when I was younger. Anyway, um, but my 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 dad was um 
I mean, he's a Lebanese Catholic. <laughs> and um, I remember my mom yelling out the window at these KKK protest, you know, people. And I remember him like, like, are you crazy? Like, they're going to burn a cross in our yard. I'm a Lebanese Catholic. Like, what are you doing? But it's just, I mean, my mom's always been that way. Um, the, uh, an old PD of DJX, um, Chris Schiebel, he took me to my first presidential rally. It was Clinton Al Gore at a Freedom Hall when I was 15. Um, I, I mean, it's just, I've always, it's always been the, you know, it's fight for whoever. Everybody deserves a voice. Um, it, it's never really been something that at least my immediate family has ever had an issue with. Um, if, if not anything, if anything, they've been on the front line, like right there. Um, we did a protest last week. We drove in a protest in Clarksville for uh, Black Lives Matter. Um, I did my mom, me and my mom and Briley. Briley's two. She went to her first protest. Um, we we drove in that. Um, I did a protest just the other day in Jeff. I, for, I can't breathe. Um, so it's it's just always been something that supported and, you know. What has it been like? There we go. In the current time, with everything going on right now, what has it been like between the discussions between you and Bishop and Christian and your sons now also being parents? Have you guys been talking about what's going on together? Um, I tend to get a little more emotional than I think they like to handle. <laughs> I worry. I worry a lot. They currently both work at Amazon um, and they work night shift. So, um, you know, there for about a week every night, I would cry when Christian would leave for work because um, it's both my sons were were leaving for work at night. Um, you know, in, in the car by themselves, they're coming home at five o'clock in the morning. They're coming down, you know, 62, which isn't um, exactly a well lit road. No. Um, and at five o'clock in the morning isn't greatly traveled. Um, so my mind tended tend to go to, oh my gosh, what if they get pulled over? What if something happens? You know, that how your mind can just do that to you. Um, also between the two of them, Bishop has spent his almost his whole life in the system in some way, shape or form. The first time his name appeared in the system, he was 10 months old. Um, his mother was uh, drugs and, you know, everything else. So he was uh, fostered a family. He would go back and forth from family members to take care of him. So he had a very different upbringing and a very different awareness of his blackness. Christian, however, did not. Christian grew up in Clarksville, Indiana, where all of his teachers were white. Um, a, a, a 99 percent of his classmates were white. All of his family was white. Um, third grade, he had a they had a project. Um, they they did the little eggs, and you designed your like your family members. And he asked the teacher. He said, "All my eggs are white." The, te the teacher called me about because she didn't know what to tell him. He was the one brown egg, but all of his eggs were white. Um, so he had a certain privilege that extended to him. He grew up with us, whereas. You know how we grow up, we get pulled over. We have conversations with police officers. When we see police officers in the store or wherever, you know, they're not following us. 
uh, people working in stores aren't following us. They're not looking at us like we're suspicious. We can wear hoods on or hats in the stores and people don't stare at us. Um, if we put our hands in our pockets, our, our sweatshirt pocket, when we're walking through someplace, they don't think it's because we're stealing something. Christian grew up with that protection because of me. So out of the two of them, he is the one that scares me the most because since he had that growing up, that privilege from being with me growing up, that's how he thinks somewhere in his mind. That's how, how he sees that, you know, why can't I just talk to him? Like he gets pulled over. Hey, I wasn't doing anything. You know, it's just a, a common thing. But what I had to make sure that he understood was that they don't see a white kid with him. They see a white male. They see a six foot two, 215 pound black male when he gets pulled over and he's been pulled over. I was pulled over in a parking lot. Sarah, the, the car wasn't even on me and both of my sons had went to Applebee's in Clarksville for dinner. It was seven o'clock in a June night. So the sun was still up walking out of the restaurant, cutting up, laughing back and forth. I'm loud. Christian's loud. Bishop's loud. we're just loud people joking about, I said, we weren't going to be eating out all summer long. Christian had just gotten back from school. And, you know, Christian's like, since when did you start cooking all the time? It was like one of those type of conversations. We get to the car, and this is my hometown, where both of them went to school. Clarksville is not a big place. No. So, you know, you know all the cops. Um, I get in, we get in the car. I'm looking for something in my purse. I look up. There's a cop car sitting behind me with its lights on. My car's not even on. The cop car is behind me with his lights on. He gets out of the car, comes up to the side of my car with his big flashlight and starts searching my vehicle with his flashlight, shining the flashlight in Bishop's face, who's sitting behind me. He pretty much bypasses me, but goes right to Christian's face, right in his eyes searches through the floorboard, through the dashboard with this flashlight. Can I help you, officer? What, you know, what's the problem? Well, we got a we got a, a you know, a call about a disturbance. A disturbance. I said we we just got done eating, like we were walking to the car. Well, you know, someone called because, you know, there there were, you know, just, you know, loud a loud disturbance. I said, these are my sons. And this one was commenting on the fact that I didn't cook enough for him when he was living at home and is mad because I cook for the other one. Went through my car again with the flashlight in Bishop and Christian's face. Again, not mine. In theirs. So they're your sons, huh? Yes, sir. They're my sons. You look like you can handle yourself. You have a good day, ma'am. What they saw was a white woman, a white female with two black men. That's why the phone call was made. That's why the cop pulled up behind me with his lights on. That's why the cop searched my car with a flashlight. That's why the cop shined the light several times in both of my son's faces. I could have went to jail that night because I wanted to pummel the officer. Not to, not even how how they felt with me not in the car. If I hadn't been in the car... I don't even want to think how something like that would happen if I hadn't been in the car.
because what kept it to happening how it did was that there was a white female in the car. What did they just say? One of, of them? Yeah, the boy. To, to them, it's kind of like, you know, they've been pulled over before. Christian got pulled over uh, by a state trooper who, you know, can I, can, do you care if I search your car? Christian, no, sir. That That's fine. Which I've told him 900 times. Don't let him search your vehicle. Don't let him search your vehicle. He's like, you know, I don't have anything to have. No, don't let him search your vehicle. You know, made sure they know their rights. The cop badge. So when Christian told him he could search his car, the cop kept. Are you sure? Are you sure I'm not going to find anything in your car? Are you sure you want me to search your car, boy? Are you sure? Officer let him go. He, he wasn't pulled over because he had a ticket. He was pulled over because he was a black man driving a car with tinted windows, playing his music probably a little too loud. That happens all the time. And you know what? And it, it, it dark, they're by yourself at night. I, I, every night I cried for a week when they left for work because I just, you know, was that going to be the, just who knows a mom, a mom worries. Well, and especially in times like today, let alone a pandemic and then everything else on top of it, it's a scary time. It's yeah. the most, I hate to say it's an uncertain time. It's an unprecedented time because that's so overused, but it's an accurate depiction of no one has lived in a time like this right now with all of this at once. So every day is a what's up for today. What's going to happen today. Um, what if you could share any sort of message to other people right now, living what you've lived through with your family, is there any sort of advice you would give to people on better ways to even understand what's going on right now or anything like that? Listening is a big thing, but um, people need to ask questions. And the reason why a lot of people don't ask questions is because they feel uncomfortable about it. And they also don't want people to think that they're bad people. And ignorance and hatred are two different things. Ignorance, you can learn. You can learn how to do anything. If I wanted to go learn right now how to, I don't know, speak French, I could go learn how to speak French. You know what I'm saying? Right. Ignorance can be fixed. You can learn anything. Hatred is something that is taught and, and bred deep in your bones. You know, hatred is a little bit harder to correct. Um, but to be ignorant just because you're afraid to ask, ask. Um, there are tons of books. There are podcasts. There are people to, to listen to. But you know what? Here's the thing. I've worked, and this, and this I, can, I can say for 100% certainty, and you, you know that my work history I worked at a lot of clubs when I worked at the radio station. I was a lot of times the only white person there. I was the white girl at the, at the door. That's what one promoter actually called me, the white girl that takes the money. That's what, he didn't even know my name. He would call Laura and be like, you know, the white girl that takes the money. Like, that's what they called me. Um, never made to feel uncomfortable. Never made to feel unwelcome. 
people are scared of something because they're taught to be scared of it. I wasn't taught to be scared of it. So I can go to Cole's place on 26th in Kentucky and not be scared, you know? Um, but some people you're, you're taught and it's subconscious. You're taught to, when you see a, you know, a black man get on an elevator with you as a white woman to push yourself back in a corner or move your purse to the other side of your body. A lot of people don't even realize that they're doing it because it's like just so like inbred in you that it's your subconscious that does it. Or how many times have you, and it can just be with men, period. You On a sidewalk, you go to the other side of the street when, when you're walking. You know, it's stuff like that that you're taught that you don't really consciously know that you're taught to do. Um, you just have to have to educate yourself about it. Ask people. You're going to be uncomfortable, but it's needed. And no one's going to hate you for asking. If anything, they are going to rejoice in the fact that you want to know and that you want to understand and that you want to try to see something that maybe you've never seen before. Because if that's been your whole life, you might not know that it exists. If you grow up in Sellersburg, Indiana and have never went anywhere or been anywhere, you might not know how it really is. You might not know about redlining or, you know, you might not. People in Clarksville, Indiana, a lot of them don't know that the reason why Clarksville Community School System exists is because of integration. When they passed the law to integrate schools, the people in Clarksville town said, no, we don't want to integrate our schools. So they started their own school district and went house by house. And the black neighborhood, they, nope, you're not in our school system. That's why if you live in Parkwood, which is Clarksville, Indiana, you got to go to Jeff High. People don't know that. I was taught that. But if you don't know, you just don't know. We can't blame you for not knowing. We can blame you for not wanting to learn, not wanting to educate yourself. So I would just listen and ask questions. That that would be my my top piece of advice. And if you don't know where to start, I ask people. You, you can call there's lots you the Urban League Oh, yeah. NAACP, local branches. I mean, if you call up and say, hey, I just want to, you know, can you give me any advice on where I can start to try to understand or to try to learn? Because you're never going to really fully know how it feels, but you you can understand a lot. And I think the you know, the the thing that makes George Floyd different than all of the other. You know, Breonna Taylor is local. That's that's one thing because it when it's local it hits. But I think what George Floyd what his made his situation different is when he when he called out for his mama. Because as a mom you understand. You know, it, it doesn't matter what color, what religion, anything. As a mom you understand. I think you're right that it cut through, it cut through the entire world. Right. And I respect you so much. I respect who you are as a person with your family, the way you raise your kids, your grandkids, your open door policy to your just helping people in general. Um, you've always been that way. And I am very fortunate to know you, <laughs> to have met your sons, your parents. Um, 
you are a very shining example of just a simple message of to love people, to learn from people. And I think a great thing to leave people with is to simply ask questions. So thank you for taking the time today to join me and letting me listen to your story. Um, there were a couple times that I was quiet because I didn't know what to say. And I was holding back tears because it's just a lot. Um, so thank you. Thank you for having me on and thank you for doing stuff like this.